following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Church. Revival in Woodbridge. Revival now. Dot church. Revival in Woodbridge. Revival now. Dot church. They are bringing to 
us blessings that we need so desperately, and within the raging storm is the answer to our need. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. The message tonight. Oh God, mercy me. Oh God, mercy me. Lord, I pray that as I share this message, that your spirit will come. Where now is the God of Elijah? Lord, come quickly. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Jesus had walked some 40 miles from the area of Jerusalem toward Galilee, stopping at the Jordan River for his disciples to baptize. And the report went out that Jesus was baptizing more than John the Baptist and not wanting a conflict. Jesus said, come, let's go on to Galilee. They stopped at noon in a little town called Sychar or Shechem. Shechem, you remember, was where Abraham pitched his tent when he came out of Mesopotamia into the promised land. He was tired, hungry, worn from the hours of walking. He sat down at Jacob's well. The disciples went into town in order to buy food. And as he's sitting there, this Samaritan woman comes. And Jesus asks, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? 
John, the fourth chapter. Because there was no association between them. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Let's focus for a minute on what Jesus is saying. This woman did not ask Jesus for living water. He offered it. And the word in the Greek to give is a gratuity for which you have done nothing. It is a free gift. Not that you have deserved it. You did not purchase it. It was freely offered to you. And Jesus is now offering her this free gift of water, living water, which for them meant fresh spring water, not river water, not pond water, not water that had sat in a jug for a long time and grown stale. This was living water. This was fresh water that was being offered. And it reminds me, no one asked God to send Jesus. No one pled with God to send Jesus. God, out of the greatness of his heart, offered Jesus as a free gift to his people. They did not deserve Jesus. And they rejected and crucified him. But he was given freely. I want to say right at the beginning tonight. Whatever the hurts. Whatever the woundings of your heart. The answer is found. In the blood atonement of Jesus. In Jesus we find. The forgiveness of our sins. We find the gift of being made righteous. We have the gift of eternal life. And we have the gift of healing the body. By his stripes we are healed. So everything the human heart desires or needs in righteousness or innocence. That's what the word righteousness means. It means innocence. So everything in innocence that the human heart needs is offered as a free gift by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the blood and the water that are the cleansing agents. And it's offered freely. He offers this woman this free gift Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? 
And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, if you look over at John, another chapter, chapter 7, verse 37 Jesus stands up on the feast in Jerusalem and he announces, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So he's offering this woman this free gift. And included in this free gift is the Holy Spirit that will begin to create a well of water springing up out of her that will pour out to others. Sir, she said, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She was there at noon. It was the heat of the day. She was a woman who was deep in sin. She could not come with the women in the early hours of the morning when it was cool. And she could not come in the evening when the other women would come. They wouldn't tolerate her because she was such a sinner. Here Jesus is receiving her and offering a free gift of water, of life, to transform her. Now, what if she had said, Jesus, thank you very much, but you know what? I like coming here to the well. And I really don't need this living water. I have the well water was good enough for our our father, Jacob. It's good enough for me. I don't I don't need your water. What if she'd said that? What if she had rejected the water of life that was being offered to her? What if she was comfortable with her life? And arrogant about her sin. And confident in her position worshiping on Mount Gerizim. What if there was no need that was felt in her life for something more and something deeper? What if she just rejected what God was trying to do? But she did not. There was a hunger in her heart. And because of that hunger, she said, sir, give me this water. She had no clue what this water was going to do to her. She had no clue what was going to happen to her because of this water. She's about to be totally, completely transformed. 
She is going to be changed by the grace of God. Please, may I say this? Only supernatural power from God can change our circumstances and change our lives. It's got to be God. There's nothing in us except a welling up of a crying need. And we go to every extent to try to fill that crying need. We try to survive. We try to grab this and grab that and fill the hole. Stuff it in. Stuff it in. But that hole in our heart only can be filled by Jesus. This woman. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. And have to keep coming back here to draw water. Have you ever just been tired of doing the same old, same old? This woman was tired of doing the same old, same old. And she knew there had to be something dramatic happen in her life. And if she could get water that would release her from coming to this well, she didn't care what the cost was. She was in for it. She was willing to risk everything. Because she was at the bottom of the barrel. Now I wish this were not true. But somehow it seems. That most of us have to go to the bottom of the barrel. And we have to be bottom dwellers for a while. And become utterly miserable with our life. And begin then finally to cry out to God. And say God I've got to have something different. I'm going to die if I don't get something different. And I can't make it happen, God. You're going to have to step into my life and make it happen. I can't do it. Now hear how Jesus steps into our life. I'm going to tell you, he steps into our life the same way. He said to her, go call your husband and come back. And suddenly she was utterly un. Covered. She was now exposed. She said, I have no husband. You're right, Jesus said. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you've had five husbands and the man you're now living with is not your husband. You're living in sin. But he doesn't condemn her. To understand Jesus does not come to condemn us. John 3.17, he did not come into the world to condemn us, but to save us. He loves us. But he's going to have to come and uncover the depth of what we're doing and thinking and acting out. If he's going to bring this dramatic change into our lives. And you all, we're such creatures of habit. And we like to do the same thing over and over. Even though we know doing the same thing over and over will get us exactly what it's getting us now. So if there's going to be a change, we're going to have to let Jesus change us. And the way he begins to change us is uncover what's going on in our hearts that we've been too dishonest to admit, even though everybody already knows it. You can't hide your sin. Somebody knows about it. 
Google knows about it. <laughs> Facebook knows about it. They've already created a, a pattern of the life of a person who goes on. They know where you go. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Oh, now she's going to do the theology number. She's going to duck and dodge with theology. Oh, we, not, we worship on Mount Gerizim and you worship in Jerusalem. And who's to say which is better? Jesus cuts right to the chase. Believe me, woman, verse 21, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You're not going to worship God in your little church that you think has all the truth. You're going to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. What's he mean, spirit? Well, you know, we have a soul. That's our personality. And when we go to heaven, we're going to have our personality. We don't lose that personality. We have a body. The body's going to get changed out. Thank you, Jesus. Some of our tents are getting worn a bit, and we'd like them replaced. So the body's going to be replaced. We're going to have the same personality. If your personality stinks with bitterness and anger, Jesus has a major work to do to get you ready because your personality is what you, I mean, that's your character. That's who you are. But you also have a spirit. You know what? This hand has never stolen. This hand has never decided that it's going to hit somebody. This hand has never cursed anybody. My body only obeys my spirit. Has your hand ever walked off and left you behind? No. (laughs) No. It doesn't have that power. Our bodies are subject to our spirits. And they do what our spirits tell them to do. And then we add the colorful personality in whatever way we're made up. But it's our spirit who's in charge of us. And God is a spirit. And Jesus is saying, you need to come to me and you're going to worship in spirit at the very core of your being. You will worship. And it's going to be truth. And Jesus said, I'm the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So you're going to worship God in association, in complete subjection to Jesus. And you're going to worship from the depths of your spirit. So it doesn't matter what your body looks like. It doesn't even matter what your body feels like because that's going to be replaced. But it matters whether that spirit is bitter and angry, judgmental, hostile, lying, cheating, stealing. It matters what that spirit is in us. 
And Jesus is offering the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me share with you what makes it so extremely difficult today to even begin to talk about revival. This woman experienced new life. The new life flooded into her. She believed on Jesus. And immediately she left her water pot. She doesn't need it anymore. She has living water now. She leaves her water pot and she runs into the village and she begins to evangelize the whole village. What would happen in the church that you're a part of if the pastor stood up one Sunday and announced, we have one goal as a church, and that goal is to turn Woodbridge into a Christian city. We're going to take this city for Jesus Christ. We're going to organize the whole church around reaching this city for Jesus. We're going to reach the millennials. We're going to reach the elderly, the, uh, the golden people. We're going to reach them. We're going to reach and identify all the groups. And the church is on its way to evangelize them. Well, that's not going to happen, is it? Why? Because the living water's not flowing out. Instead, they want to come into the sanctuary and be filled by the pastor into a cistern that is probably a cracked cistern, according to Jeremiah. So by the next week, all of the water the pastor poured in has already drained away. And now we've got to come back and get another filling of water. And so the city dies. Now, let me try to talk about a very tender, tender issue. In the book of Revelation, there is a letter to a church. It is called the Church of Laodicea. And let me tell you what's so painful about this church for me. The people who lived in the city of Laodicea did not think they needed any more living water. They thought they were doing fine. Thank you very much. They were happy with their life. They were content with the level of spiritual life they had because that level of spiritual life allowed them to call themselves Christian but have no power To win the lost and the dying. No power to heal. No power to convict the sinner of his guilt. No power. If you were to ask me what is the one single identifying mark of the American church. I would say the lack of the power of the Holy Spirit. So I would say the most desperate need in the American church is 
revival of Holy Spirit power and presence. Because that Holy Spirit power and presence needs to pour the water into our hearts and heal our wounds and restore us from our brokenness and equip us to be a constant outflow of Holy Spirit presence to the lost and to the dying. The provision is all there at the cross. So what's the issue? Well, the issue is outlined here in Revelation, the third chapter. I'll begin with the words of Jesus. This is the risen Lord. He says in verse 14, to the angel, that is to the messenger, or to the pastor of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. This is the resurrected Christ. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So here's the, here's the struggle, and it's a very real one. If a person has no sense of a great need in their heart, they will not listen to a person who tries to talk about the true condition of their heart. I mean, if I'm standing in my yard and I look over at the neighbors and they have a swimming pool, by the way, and I see the man in the water and I race over, dive into the pool, put him in a headlock and drag him out of the pool, he's going to have me arrested for assault. But if I race over there, I dive in and I pull this man out because he's drowning. He'll say, thank you. You saved my life. I was drowning. I was dying. Well, what about the man who's dying? But he doesn't know he's dying. What about the man who is content to go on Facebook or the internet, willing to go to a few church meetings, but there's no burning zeal in his heart for Jesus, there's no consuming of the word, there's no turning away from the vanities of this life. If he's content with his life and his religion, and by the way, this is the first time in the history of the Christian church when this condition has occurred. In the past, there's been a very clear line of demarcation where people have walked righteous before God or they have had a guilty conscience because they knew they were not walking clean with God. But today, that's not the case. I received a phone call today from a husband 
he had to take his wife to the hospital. A, a Christian woman. She's been overdosing on vodka and then taking 12 headache medications every day because she'd get hung over. So she was vomiting blood, collapsed, so they rushed her to the hospital. She's a Christian woman. But has no sense of need to leave her alcoholism. She finds her alcoholism completely compatible with her Christian walk. I know men who regularly smoke pot and say to me, Pastor, I like smoking the pot. I can talk better after I've had some pot. I feel better if I have pot. And I just look at him and he says, that's a poor excuse, isn't it? Yeah. That's a poor excuse. So tobacco, alcohol, drugs, television, internet, cell phones, whatever it is, coffee, whatever it is that comforts us, that keeps us stuck, that does not allow us to move forward and receive this water of life that Jesus wants to pour out to us. Do you notice this woman at the well had to be confronted with her sin before she could receive the living water? But if I'm resentful against anyone who might suggest I have a need, then I am blocking the flow of that healing in my body and I'm blocking the flow of the Holy Spirit as he wants to come in and change me and transform me into his likeness. And in the modern church, Revival is a very romantic word. We like to talk about it. We like to talk about Solomon at the temple. These people were called by name, my name. You know the passage. We like to put it even on the fronts of our programs. But don't talk about sin. Don't do what Jesus did with this woman at the well, where she finally had to face the reality that others knew about her spiritual condition. The healing power of God is released as we are willing to begin to identify the great need of our heart. And our life. God does not come and change a person who is unwilling to feel or know their great need 
for the supernatural working of God in their heart. And when they finally acknowledge that need and the spring of living water can begin to flow forth from that person, there are very clear identifying marks. There is a tenderness of heart. There's an outflowing of love. There is hope. There is joy. There is an eagerness to share with others the good news of the gospel of Jesus. There is a transformed life. See, there is a condition to revival. The condition is, first of all, for the woman at the well, she has to want what Jesus wants to give her, even though she doesn't know what it is yet. And secondly, there has to be a willingness to acknowledge our desperate need. And then the healing power of God can begin to flow. And we're transformed into new creatures. This woman said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Come. See this man. The disciples come back. They see him talking with this woman. They urge him to have something to eat. He says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. The disciples are confused. And then comes this amazing passage. My food, verse 34, is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. Do you not say... Four months more, and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and the other reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Now you can go and labor all you want in the field. But if you lack the flowing presence of the Holy Spirit, it's going to be hard, tedious, endless work with almost no results. But if it is quickened by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, things change. And I'll be honest with you. Very forthright. I've labored for years as a pastor, digging one person out at a time. Seeing lives changed, seeing lives transformed. But it's been on a very limited basis. The work of the gospel in Woodbridge will not be accomplished 
one at a time. The power of God is going to have to come. He's going to have to come and transform his people. Because until the people are transformed, they have no power to go into the community. Because there's no power of the Holy Spirit, spring of living water flowing out of them. The spring of living water satisfies the needs with love and compassion and mercy. If all we have is our orthodox theology and our intellectual understandings and our prejudice for what we believe and what we think, and we've refused to allow the Holy Spirit to come and deal with our sin, and we say we're saved. I've heard, I have heard men in the last months say to their congregations, hey guys, we're all saved. If that were true, there would not be room to hold the harvest the Holy Spirit would be flowing with such power. It would be full-blown revival. Now, I feel a little strange tonight because I'm talking about this, this son called revival. And most of you have never been in a revival. You've never seen a revival. You don't know what a revival is. But revival is supposed to be the normal life of the church. It's not supposed to be something that happens once in a while. The fact that revival, you've not seen it, is a sign of the judgment of God against his church. It means he's withdrawn his presence because of a refusal to recognize the desperate need of their heart. And the heart need has been satisfied with worldly things. There has to be a change. I want revival. I want Jesus. I want the love of Jesus to flow into this community and heal the sick. I'd love to close this huge conglomerate hospital down because nobody's sick in the whole community. Everybody's healed. Wouldn't that be awesome? I'd love to see the judges sitting around saying, I don't have anything to do because there are no prisoners coming in. Revival is not something that just happens in the church and then stays in the church. Revival goes into that third phase of pouring itself out for the life of others. So I've been praying all day. Lord, where's the God of Elijah? Where's the God of Elijah? We need to see the power of God. We need to admit our need. And tonight I freely admit I desperately need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. My preaching is without power. I preach on the radio every day. And I get sweet letters of lives changed and transformed. And I'm very grateful for that. But the city hasn't been turned around. It's not like the preaching of Paul. 
where he goes in and turns Ephesus upside down. They come and beat him because he's so successful. Now, I don't want to get beaten. But if it means the power of the Holy Spirit moving and confronting the powers of darkness, bring the beating on. Let's be serious with Jesus. So please, tonight, the harvest is there. It's waiting. We need the resources to reach. But the number one resource we need is the power and might and direction of the Holy Spirit. Almighty God. Would you turn our hearts. And cause our hearts to so ache. That we cannot remain lukewarm. That by the sovereign work of your Holy Spirit. You will come and heal us. And restore us to the fullness of your Holy Spirit with streams of water pouring out of our lives in love and mercy and compassion for the lost. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen.
You cannot live wrong and die right. We cannot continue to sin and believe we are saved. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley. Listen Monday through Friday to Pilgrim's Progress at 1 p.m. right here at WAVA 780. Salvation is freedom from sin. Are you washed in the blood of the Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come join us at nationalprayerchapel.com or our sister website, revivalnow.church. God bless you. We love you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy with great joy now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of glory with great joy, with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Presence of His glory. We-